Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, February 13. State the truth in a normal conversational tone. Often people who shout their thoughts are either lying or talking through their hats. Oh dear. <laughs> There's a sort of place in between. Well, where, you, know, you get intense and you really want to insist. I remember Swamiji saying to me on more than one occasion, he said, Asha, truth has quite enough power on its own. It doesn't need you to always be defending it. I mean, he was talking in the context of other truth seekers like myself. You know, and so it's sort of like we, we try to make ourselves more powerful by just putting more energy behind what we're saying, but that doesn't necessarily make what we're saying any more right. If it's right, it just, it just sits there and is right. It doesn't get more right because we said it with more intensity. All that we're trying to do at that point is we're trying to, well, overwhelm the willpower of others and force them to go along with us. I, I, I have been on the giving end of that attitude, and I will say much more in the past, and I've also been on the receiving end of that. It's, it's a very interesting phenomenon when people try to persuade you not with the inherent logic or the meaning of what they're saying, but just by the sheer um, force of their own personality. Swami goes a step farther and says um, they're either lying or they're really not sure about what they're saying. They're talking through their hats. Um, I, I just find that interesting. I have, would have to reflect on that a little bit more, reflect on, on my own experience of that to see if that's true. But it is an interesting question whenever you see people moving away from their center in their conversations and you know, trying harder and harder to persuade you that what they're saying is the only possible you know, way that things could be, why are they so determined to have you believe it? You know, when, when, someone, when, when I know that something is true or when you know that something is true, it's just a fact. You don't have to you don't have to go around forcing the world to agree with you. I mean, this is fanatics. Often fanatics are people who really have no room for doubt. I was, many years ago, when I still lived at Ananda Village, I was invited to be a guest on a radio station in a, you know, a nearby town. And the, the subject of the conversation was not Ananda's spiritual beliefs, but it was our community and our country lifestyle and our organic garden and our goat dairy and it was all the what you might call the sociological aspects of it and the the um that we we built our own homes you know that sort of thing it was a back to the land sort of conversation and the fact that we meditate and we're disciples of of paramhansa yogananda none of that was the point of the interview so fine i was an often the spokesperson for ananda so i went to the radio station and before we went on the air, the man and I started talking, and it turns out, he told me a little about his story, he'd, he'd come up rough, and he'd uh, ended up being a drug addict, 
and he was a serious heroin addict, and he was homeless, and, you know, just life was not good. He wasn't that old, maybe in his 30s. Um, and he finally, but literally by the grace of God, he'd come to Jesus and accepted Jesus as his Savior. And as a result of Jesus being his Savior, he'd been able to get clean, and now his life was in order. Um, somehow in the course of that conversation, he found out what apparently he hadn't really known before about our spiritual practices. I, th I don't think I told him, but I think it was in the literature. So he found out that we had this Eastern guru, and even worse than that, that we had Jesus Christ was part of our lineage, but not only. And it was all just, it was a heresy to him on a very profound level. So we were there to talk about goats and about organic gardening, but he found himself and I didn't really realize this till we went on the air, that he felt morally obligated to witness for Jesus Christ. And so we, I started trying to have the conversation about the goats and the organic vegetables, and he kept wanting to have a discussion about Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the light, and how could I be following any other path but that. Now, I was on the horns of a dilemma, because he needed that kind of fanatical belief. It's like, it would have been terribly wrong of me to even in the slightest way argue against the point of view he was putting forward. Because, you know, a man who's been that far out on addiction is, is not necessarily safe just because he's had a few clean years. I mean, I, I've heard it more in the alcohol world, but I know it's true in all of these that the temptation is often really right there at the edge. And part of the fanaticism is because you're always having to beat the wolf away from the door. So I, I wasn't going to touch this man's faith. But his faith required that he try to persuade me. So I, I said something to that effect. I didn't say, you're an ex-addict and you can't afford any doubt. But I finally said, you know, my spiritual belief allows for both of us, and yours doesn't. But I don't see any reason why we should have this conversation. And then I just went silent. I refused to talk. We're on, we're on a live radio show. I mean, it's, it was just some local show, but I just refused to talk to him because there was nothing morally, I, morally correct I could do until he was willing to talk to me about goats and organic gardens again. But, you know, it's, it was just one of those situations... He wasn't lying, but he, in a sense, I, I don't know if the phrase talking through his hat really applies to him, but he didn't, he wasn't confident in what he knew because the presence of my having a different point of view was profoundly threatening to him. Yes, it was couched in the idea that he had a, a, an obligation to my soul to try to save me, which I understand, there's a whole theology about that. But it was, not, it was not a freely chosen response on his part. It was a survival response. It was, a, it was you have threatened my life and my well-being, and I need, to, I need to annihilate you. I need to annihilate this threat to my well-being. And so very often, that's what you see. And I certainly know when I have become in the past insistent that on my point of view, somehow there's a great anxiety that if people take a course other than the one I'm suggesting, that, you know, some catastrophe will ensue. And 
I'm not always wrong, but that anxiety that the whole well-being of the planet rests on me um, is in itself an egoic delusion. And this is where Swami would try to say to me, you know, truth has enough power to make it on its own. Truth isn't just waiting for you to come pick it up and carry it on to its next, next location. So we should also not only observe in others, but we should listen to ourselves. Why am I increasing the volume? Why, am I, why is my voice becoming more shrill? Why am I interrupting? Why am I not let them, letting other people finish their thoughts? You know, why am I trying to shout other people down? It's to ask myself, what, what am I really trying to do here? This is where Swami says, you know, say the truth in a normal conversational voice. And also, of course, when people feel attacked, they don't respond their best either. And pretty soon the whole thing has devolved into, into chaos. It's just, uh, it becomes ridiculous. Many times, you know, tremendous difficulties develop in people's lives. And when you try to trace it back, what are we really arguing about? You often, you don't even know what you're arguing about. I, I knew one couple that basically they fought a lot because of a certain tone of voice. Because... He would, he, she was, her voice was soft, he couldn't always hear her, and he would often get exasperated and we'd say, what? She would hear, what? She, her feelings would get hurt. So all of a sudden, all they were talking about was the tone of voice that he used to try to get her to speak up so she could be heard, but pretty soon they were off to the races, you know, or off to the, down into the cellar with just total confusion over nothing except just this um, inability to continue to converse in a normal way. Really, why do we shout? We have to ask ourselves, why do I shout? Now, this is the entire project of life. The reason we shout is because our consciousness is unsettled. The reason our consciousness is unsettled is because we have countless unresolved issues inside our hearts. And that's what it is to be human. That's what it is to be on the road to enlightenment and not yet at enlightenment. That we have countless unresolved issues inside of us. And the more um, at peace we can be. I've, I've often talked about this like when a mother is raising a child and the child is four, the mother is not angry because the child is not six. Recently friends of mine had their first grandchild and We've all been regaled with pictures of this grandson. And I must admit, even um, all prejudice, grandparent prejudice aside, he is rather a remarkable-looking child. He's one of those children. Now, there's, there's two ways to think about this. Either he is, which is what we sincerely hope he is, a really highly evolved soul, and he has all this consciousness inside of him. One of my dear friends, who shall remain nameless, who in every other way was very sane and balanced. <laughs> but when his, his son was born, and uh, uh, actually someone looked into his, his son's eyes and said, you know, he looks like a very intelligent, this is like a week old, looks like a very intelligent person. So the father is talking to me, well, so-and-so said that my son looks, has a, a look of intelligence in his eyes, but you know, it's not intelligence, it's a look of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it was. 
<laughs> but I was so touched, actually. It was just so sweet because, of course, the father had fallen in love with his son. And in fact, the boy did turn out to be a very fine man. <laughs> but even notwithstanding that kind of... I was starting to say there's two ways that babies have unusual looks. One of them is they're unusual souls. And I think this is... I, think that, I do think this soul is very conscious. So he's, he's remarkably conscious for his age. Um, but I also think sometimes babies are born and the soul really hasn't forgotten that it's a grown man or a grown woman. And so it doesn't look like a baby. It just, it, it's still inside itself, it's still a grown man, maybe, maybe an old and wise and highly successful man. So it's sitting there in this tiny little baby body, but its whole demeanor is still um, what it was in the life before. Sometimes such children, the only thing I can say is they gradually become babies. <laughs> they, they kind of get, they figure out where they are, and that old man, old adult look kind of goes out of them and they, they begin to look more like babies. And sometimes they just hold that face. I remember when Swami Kriyananda came to visit our school once, there was a little boy there, and he was about five. And Swami was talking to all the children. He has a very, Swami has a very interesting way of talking to children, had... He just, he just, surprise, surprise, just treats them like people. And he just looked at this little boy who was five, and he said, you're not five, you're a full-grown man. And the little boy just smiled at him, because he, he was already five or six, but he, he had his adult face on, he just never took it off. And he did, he was just grown up, even though he was small. He had to go through childhood, but he was grown up, and it was obvious. Well, what I was just going to say about this is, you know, it's just like, that, that, that baby, despite, speaking of this grandchild, despite all his self-evidently wonderful qualities, he's a month old, you know? And I see him there, and he's this little tiny body, and he's sitting there in his diaper. And I was just thinking, you know, a diaper is the, the most profound humiliation. He just, he's just in a diaper. What can he do? What can his parents do? He's just in a diaper. And that's, that's who we are, and that's who the people all around us are. Why are you yelling at me? What are you trying to prove by yelling at me? If you can't get somebody to stop yelling, you can at least sort of sympathetically think, oh dear, maybe you need to stop yelling. But if you're only six, you're just going to keep yelling at me until you get to be 12. And there's really just nothing we can do about it. And the more calmly and quietly and realistically we can hold those thoughts in our lives, well, the happier we'll be and the more helpful will be to others. So Swami says, State the truth in a normal conversational tone. Often people who shout their thoughts are either lying or talking through their hats. Joy to you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.